Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. It was another round of the Champions and Challenge Cup in Europe this weekend, and joining me to discuss it all is the former England and Quinns number eight, Nick Easter. Hello, Nick. How are you? Where are you? What are you? I'm very well, <laughs> thank you, Ryan. Very well indeed. Just uh, awaiting the impending arrival of uh, son number one in the next few days, so I've been... Your life good... is going to change oh, so much. For the better... For the, and, for the, well, I tell you what, it's taken the, the attention well. away from uh, who the Christmas presents are being bought for, that's Absolutely. for sure. Absolutely. Oh, well, look, just remember, for the first couple of years, buy them a box. In fact, they don't play with the toys, they play with the things they come in. It really doesn't matter, honestly. Yeah. Mate, I don't think that's going to wash. <laughs> no, OK, <laughs> fair enough. But you'll find out it's true. Look, over the weekend, some interesting thing, because Leicester and Bath, given their domestic form, you feared for them, you know, having to go into ties with... Uh, with Leinster principally, yet both teams, I mean, just going down at Racing as well is not uh, uh, not creditable, and yet they put in decent performances, didn't win. But again, that pulls another question, doesn't it? The coaches and the supporters will be asking quite rightly, what the hell have you been doing for the rest of the time? Because same players, completely different manner of performance. Yes, and you get you get that in rugby. We know we do. Um, the backs are to the wall. Everyone's writing them off. Yeah, two bad losses last week, and they're up against it in Europe. And it's it's all about getting to that emotional level. And when you're up against, yeah, Bath are up against the champions and favourites, and you know second favourites and away from home, Leicester are up against. You, and no one's giving them a chance, and that's quite an easy position to be in. That, but that's my player. point. That is an easy position uh, to be. Whereas in. when there's expectation, and you've got to get to that level. You've got to maintain that focus and you know that collective belief. That's the sign of a good side when they're doing it week in, week out. So a sign of a side that's up and down, up and down. You know, that there's something not quite right in the water there. Exactly, but you've been on both sides of the fence, coaching wise and playing wise. The only thing that players can really control is their effort levels. You know, fitness is subject to all sorts of things. The vagaries of the bounce of the ball, the referee, the opposition can't do anything about that can demand minimum standards. So to what extent is it the players and to what extent is it the culpability of the coaches? The, the coaches have to, they're responsible, along along with players, but they have to get the environment right down there, you know, a, a place that sets high standards continually, um, that they enjoy the game they're playing, the style they're playing. 
and senior players particularly, they have to take responsibility. You know, even if they're not in agreement or whatever, they have to take responsibility. They're the ones making decisions. They're the ones performing and dragging the rest of the team along with them in tough moments, in pressure moments, in games. And so, look, it's it's a collective thing. I mean, I can't say it's 25% there, 30% there or anything, but, you know, they certainly, the senior players and the coaching staff have to be on the same page and have to have that buy-in for the rest of the, um, the, rest of the club and the organisation to follow. See, what is m- even more interesting to me is not as if these clubs are relative newbies to competition, <laughs> are they? They're very, very long-established, huge traditions. And if you wanted to point to your um, predecessors and give a model as to how you ought to be comporting yourself, they've both got that in huge amounts. And I, I, I just don't know what the coaches can, you know, what, what more they can do. So it seems strange to me. Just, just cover this. The, the flag gate incident, not allowing the Leinster flags to come in because allegedly they didn't pass three health and safety standards. Did they get all of these in advance then and test them? Yeah, I'm, I'm quite relieved. Like I'm quite me. relieved. Although that might have helped, um, you know, Bath's planning application to replace <laughs> the pitch if it had burnt down. They might have got that done a bit quicker, so we don't have anything more to discuss on that uh, that aspect of the rugby club. The UK fans are terrific. European fans are terrific, absolutely terrific in all sports. And the Irish fans in particular, I remember playing a quarterfinal in 2013 to Munster at home, and it felt like an away game. Just a sea of red, the red flags there and everything. And I think, you know, uh, Bath... Yeah, there's plenty of other examples of this happening in away games. We wanted every single bit of advantage, but... You know, when you're using that sort of excuse to stop the flags coming in, I think it's a little bit childish, a little mm. bit pet. Well, it's extremely petty, um, and ultimately, it didn't really do the job. And they might be on the receiving end of a health and safety backlash this weekend. <laughs> I'll imagine Leinster's uh, media team and everything will be saying, "Yeah, you're welcome. You can bring whatever you want in there. All confiscated. Vuvuzelas, flares. You can bring them all in. It doesn't matter. We welcome, you know, <laughs> passionate supporters." Well, Wasps, Toulouse, you know, defeat at home. The worrying thing for Wasps, I mean, it's not just the fact that Dai Young every week seems to have to say the same things, <laughs> made too many basic errors, inconsistent. But if any of the rumours are true that there is uh, an exodus going to happen, doesn't seem to me at the moment anyway that they have the squad, perhaps unlike Saracens, maybe only Saracens, to lose players like Daly, like Nathan Hughes. Mm. And considering they've lost Wade and Cipriani as well, who were... Who were LaRue as well. Gopeth being injured. You know, they've lost them before the season. Yep, LaRue and Nathan Hughes. Is there something not quite right or is it, you know, it's time for a move for these guys? You know, a player's career is quite short. You know, opportunities elsewhere. They've had the same old problems though. It's their defence, isn't it? Too easy. Couple of the Toulouse tries, Cheslin Colby in the second half when a centre just ran straight through Sopawanga. Look, first up tackling, we speak about it. You know, you can coach as much as you want, but you've got to put your heart and soul into that. It's a mindset, it's isn't a, it? It's, it's, it's an attitude. It's a reflection of your attitude throughout the group. And yes, there's technical stuff you can do, but, you know, he's completely bailed out of that. But where was the backfield? They ran straight through and no one's near them to touch them in the backfield. So there's something not right there in the structures, certainly in the mindset, because they're just too easy to um, score points against. Mm-hmm. And that's been that's been their problem in the last three, four years when they've done well. But they've had the ability and Danny Cipriani, Christian Wade, the pace there and a bit of a hard-nosed forward pack when it when needed 
um, when the likes of James Haskell was playing there, along with Nathan Hughes, to win those big games. But just to get over that final hurdle, it's always been the physical stuff when they haven't got the ball, and it just seems to be accentuated this year. Well, funnily enough, I mean, Saracens will almost certainly go through, but uh, you didn't necessarily expect that the Newcastle Falcons and Gloucester were going to be the two sides that are favourites to, uh, to to join them. Now, um, Gloucester, again, for years have been notoriously inconsistent. I think that's got slightly better this time around, but can they take that extra step, which is, you know, winning the really, really big games, you know, to, to send them through this time? I, th- I think Gloucester can get through. This week's a huge game for them to back it up because Exeter, along with Saracens... They're at home, though. Which is they are at home. That's going to make a big difference. But the, I think this is the acid test to see how consistent they are because they've been pretty good this year, but there's some games that they should have won and they haven't won. But they've got X-Factor, Brian, and I think we'll touch on Exeter in a little bit, and I think that's probably what they might be missing. But Gloucester, you know, the likes of Mostert, Jakob Creel, Danny Cipriani, these sort of players, Oli Thormey, They've got that X factor in these bigger games against better sides that can actually just take you. Well, Cipriani, again, I mean, I don't know necessarily what Eddie Jones has said you need to work on, but, <laughs> you know, the performance he's given, performances he's given this season don't leave that much room for improvement apart, you know, to be you know, a clone of someone like uh, Sexton who's just playing out this world in the most consistent performer. Because again, Cipriani, just a couple of times, that little delay of a pass, a little draw, little bit of a feint, and that's all, I say all he's doing, that's a crucial difference. I will say this, we're not going to get into a bait about Danny. I believe he should be in England squad and he should have been given time off the bench at the very least in the autumn. But some of my most enjoyable games for England on the very few he played were when he's at fly half. For a forward, as you would you would know, if someone's barking orders and organising you into position, you're able to do your job a lot better. Because yep. yep. you trust what he's saying and you know exactly what you've got to do. And therefore, the team's going to execute better. And Johan Hackerman, just like Dyer Young did at Wasps, has given him control of the attack. Probably not full control, but certainly running the show. We spoke about you know leadership on the field from senior players when we were talking about Bath and Leicester. And when you give licence to someone like that, he'll make things happen. And yet that's an element and a part of his game which players, obviously, you recognise and yet doesn't seem to be, he doesn't seem to be given any credit at all for his game management like that. <laughs> yeah, but look, I mean, some people just have a blinkered view, don't they, um, with, with, how, with how they see things happening. And, you know, clearly, you know, you know one opinion is different from another, but what's important for him is both club coaches he's worked under the last number of years since he's come back to the English game um, have allowed him that freedom to express himself and um, you know pull the strings with the ball. Well, you could make a case for Newcastle not necessarily wanting to go through because it might be a bit of a distraction from where they are at home. But let's move on to Exeter because you mentioned them earlier. Always difficult players returning from international duty. They had more than they expected, I think, in the autumns. Chose not to bring them all straight back, but they're not they're not firing either. Yeah, but I think he managed them very well, Rob. They didn't play against Harlequins um, last week. You know, they lost that game and they lost at home to Gloucester. And Exeter have always been much more about the collective, probably than any other side. You know, there's talent there, certainly, as, you know, we've seen in the autumn, these guys coming through. And the ability to get the best out of the players is something that their coaching staff are very, very good at. And they speak about themselves as a machine. And I just go back to the point I'm saying, yeah, that's great because you'll get very, very far, but... 
you need the players who are going to make things happen. You need to have that talent. If you got, if you have talent on your side, things will happen. You've always got a chance. Leinster, they're a machine, but you look at the X Factor players. They have the world class players. They have Saracens, exactly the same. You know, when Saracens are full strength compared to Exeter, full strength, how many of those are in the internationals? And I think the higher the level you go, you do need those players. Of course, you can't have those players being mavericks and doing their own thing. But the environment down at Exeter, just like Saracens and Leinster's, good enough for them to realise to be the team player. And I just think that's what's missing. And what's also interesting, they've been a side that's dominated possession. Yeah, 60% to possession. They wear you down, they grind you down, they look after it. They don't tend to offload that much, which is something they probably need to look to because you'd rather score in one or two phases than in 19 phases all the time. But both Gloucester and Harlequins have won the possession battle the last two times they've played them. So maybe sides are just working out what you need. Well, you know, you certainly can't have any weaknesses like in a set piece against them. But actually, if we hold on to the ball a little bit longer, you take a huge weapon away from them. Well, that's one of the problems, isn't it, with with teams that, and it's the same at football, when teams dominate possession against you, the opportunities you have, you think, right, right, got it now, got to do something immediately. Of course, generally that means you turn it over again and they start all over and the problem is cyclical and you find yourself in the same situation, doing the same things, and then you wonder why you've had no momentum. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And uh, I think sides are a lot more patient now. You've got to match Exeter's physicality and work rate. Sides are doing that very, very well. And at a set piece, as I said, if you can nullify them or stay in the game that way, there'll be opportunities. Uh, look, I expect Exeter to, to bounce back. They've done it a number of times. I remember they questioned a couple of years ago, actually the year they won the league, when I think they didn't win anything for three or four games. But I still feel in Europe... If they're to actually, you know, get to those final mm. stages and maybe even win it, there just needs to be a little bit more X factor within that squad. Well, why don't we get uh, a different perspective? We can now speak to the former Munster, Leinster Wasp Saints and Ireland Centre, James Downey. Hello, James. Brian, how are you? Okay, thank you. We're here with uh, Nick Easter. We were chatting about uh, Bath, Flaggate, and all sorts of things. Leinster, I don't think played to the uh, top of their game and Bath actually exceeded expectations and yet Leinster found a way to win which is what good sides do. Are they are they a complete package? I don't know if they're the complete package at the moment. I just think that they're they're able to grind out these results as you say. I didn't think they played extremely well at the weekend. I thought Bath really targeted them at the breakdown. Um, Underhill was superb and Francois Lowe just brought a different dimension but I just... Look, Leinster, like when they struggle, when they miss Johnny Sexton, I think Ross Byrne steps in admirably. But I, I just think that they're not quite there. They're not quite firing in all cylinders. Uh, maybe conditions obviously didn't help matters. But no, I still think they have a bit to go. I think, look, they had the internationals back and it'll take a few weeks for them to get back into it. But they're going to have, look, that again in the RDS this weekend. So hopefully it'll be better conditions and they'll want to produce a, a, a more, more round uh, performance. So the problem they've got is with Toulouse having wasps at home, you'd make them uh, f- almost firm favourites, I think, to win that game. That means Leinster couldn't top the group, which opens up uh, more difficult draws. Is it something that uh, will bother them? Or as previously, will they say, look, just bring on whoever is there? Look, I'm sure on the, out, on the outset they'll say, look, it doesn't matter who we play. But I think ultimately, if you can get that home quarter final, it's such a huge advantage. And Leinster are so strong at home that, yeah, I think they'll want to top the group. It's going to come down to, well, I think it is, um, with Wasps losing at the weekend, that if it's going to come down to that uh, Leinster to lose game. 
I think they could try and get as many points as they can now in the last three fixtures if they can look I guess they'll take the win against Bath next week but they'll always keep pushing for that bonus point because these extra points are needed and I, if you can get that home quarter a bit of luck with the draw in the semi uh, and who knows from there but yeah you're definitely going to look to get a, a home quarter final well, Munster may well uh, get that. What are we to make of uh, of Munster at the moment? Well, it was that yesterday's game, and look, it was quite a frustrating first half. You expect Munster to come out and really dominate and try and dominate opposition, especially French opposition, but it just didn't happen for some reason yesterday. Look, I think with Joey going down just before the game, Joey Carberry was a huge loss. Okay, they'd known about it for a couple of days, and then Chris Farrell went down to warm up. Munster are a lot better. It's a lot better position than where they were. Ty Byrne as well has been such a huge signing for them. Uh, he had three, uh, three turnovers yesterday as well. And okay, around the park, he, was, he, he had a couple of errors, but you can take that into consideration. But Munster, over the past few years, have just fallen short. They've fallen short in semi-finals. They just haven't had those players that take them over the line to have that, even say, pivotal 10 position. Um to control the game and to actually get them over, as I say, over the line right at the end. And, and Joey Carby's been a key signing. So, and Chris Farrell, as I say, and Ty Byrne are the three, three main guys for them and, and missing two of them at the weekend. But they have got these players that can actually, as Peter Mahoney would always allude to, that these finishers, that they can, they can get over this hoodoo that's now in their head, I think, that um, every time they get to a semi-final, they just fall short. They were just missing something. And I think these players are the typical players that they need to actually get them over the line. James, Nick here. You watched the Ulster Scarlets game. Yep. Away wins, you know, they're like hen's teeth in Europe. There were quite a few over the weekend that I think have set up the pools now, provided they could do a job at home. Impressed with them? Yeah, actually it was, it was. I thought their pack really stepped up. You look at the Ulster pack over the last couple of years and I think it's where they've kind of let themselves uh, let themselves down a little bit. But they got parity and more at the weekend, I felt. Um, and they're starting to kind of just edge out results. And as you say, it's, it's so hard to get an away win. Um, never mind the bonus win, but it's so hard to get a win. And I don't think they've done it since they beat Northampton a couple of years ago. And... Look, I do. I think they're getting there. I think they're still a good bit short. I think if they have a few injuries, they're going to struggle. But they have a decent front line. And if they have their front line players, I've been impressed with what they've done so far. And what they've brought in now at the back, they've struggled with the 10s. And I think Billy Burns has come in and done a decent job. And But Will Addison, Will Addison has been the signing of the season for them so far. And not just from an Ulster point of view, but what he can bring to Ireland as well. With that positional sense he has, he can play 15, he can play centre. And just to have that player who can slot in around the park uh, makes a big, big difference. Yeah, Ireland all over him. I think that's a big loss for England. But Ulster, I think they've got a strong, strong chance of qualifying from this group. This weekend's obviously massive for them. I think they'll be targeting clearly to win, but probably getting the maximum points. And then it sets it up really nicely come the uh, end of January games. Yeah, I think so. And I think they'll be buoyed with confidence about going over there and getting that, bunt, like that win over against Scarlets, which is a place to go. I know they're used to playing them in the Pro 14, but it's different in Europe. And it just depends on the Scarlet mentality, I feel. If they come over kind of half-cocked, you know, I think Ulster can take them. And I think, again, given conditions, if it's a dry track, Ulster will certainly look to get maximum points. Um, but yeah, it, it tees them up nicely. I think they've kind of just been simmering away, Ulster, and they've gone about their business. And in Ireland, everyone's talking about Leinster and how well they've done and Munster who are coming coming good this year. And No one's really spoken too much about Ulster because they're in this sort of cliched rebuilding phase and 
I think they've just gone about their business quietly and, and quite effectively and Dan McFarlane seems quite shrewd in how he's done things and I just think that yeah it'd be void for the for the for the province if they can actually get that a quarter final. James very quickly and, and, and finally if you don't mind uh, Joe Schmidt uh, not staying on post World Cup succession planning which seems to have evaded England uh, but not Ireland what do you think about the uh, appointment of Farrell? Yeah, I'm happy with it to be honest I think it just keeps that consistency of what Joe's done Joe's mentality and how he's just prepared sides I think Andy would have learned a lot from them and look Andy's an extremely qualified a coach at the moment and look he's learned he knows the Irish system because you don't want too much upheaval you don't want too many changes and everyone seems to be look it's obviously not the great thing that we've lost Joe and I think everyone saw the writing on the wall for the last while but I just think that if Joe can go away with maybe winning something or getting Ireland as far as they can look I'm happy with Andy Farrell stepping in there as I say he's been there He's been amongst Joe and he knows the players. And look, it's it's a difficult job to step up from being an assistant to to a head coach. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes along that line and who else he actually brings in. Um, I know there's there's loads of talk over in the UK about Stuart Lancaster and look, everyone speaks so highly of him here. And his name has been shown around as well as perhaps could he even step up into that Irish setup as well and and, and bring uh, bring some much needed experience there too. James, uh, thank you very much. Uh, interesting as usual. Thanks for speaking to us. Nick, the Six Nations is coming up. And funny, I was watching these games, and normally, from uh, a writing perspective, I'm watching trying to get a defined theme and say who's going to come in. But actually, you know, given the way the autumns went for most of the home unions, I didn't think that was a great subject because I just thought, actually, these coaches know virtually now. They know very nearly what their squads are going to be. There's only limited amounts of opportunities for people to push their the ways in. And um, the Six Nations is set up, because of the autumns, for a huge clash this time, isn't it? I can't wait. Okay, well, that's, <laughs> you know, that first thing, that, that first weekend as well, you've got Ireland, England. I mean, it couldn't, you know, get the mouth watering anymore, could it really? And... It's in rude health, European rugby, probably as strong as it's ever been, as the autumn showed. Now, look, I know, uh, you know, it's the end of the Southern Hemisphere season, all that sort of stuff, weather conditions probably playing a part. But that's been the case. But that's been the case for 30, 40 years, you know, since it became regular. And we didn't have a set of results like we've had. And what I really liked is the contrasting styles is it happened to be, in the main, the Northern Hemisphere defence is shutting down the Southern Hemisphere attack. Now... Come World Cup, that could be a little bit different on drier grounds and warmer weather in Japan. But I quite like the way the, the, the Northern Hemisphere teams are attacking. But just onto the Six Nations is, I just think you can't look past that first weekend. You know, that Ireland-England game. The demand for tickets, as I'm sure you've had, is uh, through the roof. Absolutely no chance as well. Especially when there's only 55,000 you can get into that stadium. But it'll sound like there's probably 155,000. It's in great shape. And in terms of opportunities, look, the only opportunities that come around will be injuries like England had to get hold of in, in the autumn but they sort of happened upon a very workmanlike no showboaty hard-nosed forward pack out of that and I think that's given Eddie some good selection headaches and it'd be very very interesting to see the makeup of his of his side especially as his pack come uh, that first game When England have got two very big games away in Dublin and Cardiff and you can easily foresee narrow wins or losses either way in those games. So they could either be, you know, sitting pretty, you know, with a shot at the title, or they could be languishing sort of, 
you know, mid or mid to lower table. But for the first time only, whilst you would necessarily want them to do as well as they can and win those games as an English supporter, if it turned out they were narrow losses but very creditable mm. performances, would that do? I don't think so. I think you've got to win one of those games because playing away is very, very different from playing at home. And um, to nick one of them or outperform and win will do massive boosts for the confidence. I think England have got to win at least one of those games. Mm. I, I don't think it'll be a grand slam year. I think it'll just be you know Six Nations winner because Ireland have got to go to Cardiff as well. They're the ones under the radar, aren't they, uh, Wales, a little bit? We say under the radar because we always talk about them on... on Not anymore, like I don't think. <laughs> yes, exactly. But I think, uh, you know, they're bubbling away nicely. They've got those two at home and it could go... You know, there's usually two two teams that can win it and people say, right, well, that's you know that's the crunch match or whatever it might be. But uh, I think this time there's there's three genuine contenders. Three genuine contenders and a couple of teams, Scotland and France, that could certainly upset them. Well, it's said that Michael Checker's position as the uh, coach for Australia, uh, the decision will be made ahead of Christmas, according to reports. I don't, I don't think it was terribly good PR to have uh, had it leaked that they were speaking to Jake White no. or going to speak to Jake White. But, I mean, he came in in very similar circumstances just before a World Cup, did actually very well. Where are they now? Should he stay or go? I think they should stick with him. From what I understand... From colleagues I've worked with, the players really enjoy him. They like him. They've just the, their rugby's in a downhill spiral. I think that's the, that's the reality of it. Throughout the nation, it's always been fourth choice sport, fifth choice sport. It's always been a third choice after Aussie rules and rugby league in the winter, and it's getting even worse because the schools that play rugby union as a main, you know, they're getting offered by AFL clubs to right, okay. We see that they're your best athletes at 14, 15 years old. Come and join our club. You know, we'll give you a little bit, a little bit of money. We'll give you a bit of kit. And, and, you know, that just entices them away that they're going to play a bigger sport for a bigger union. And it's just not in a healthy situation. You can see the struggles the super rugby sides are having. You know, the drop down to the next level. There's no real pathway to bring this next group through. But in terms of Michael Checker, we know what he did when he was brought in a year before last time. The one thing he'll have is he'll have his players for a good period before the World Cup. He'll have his best players available, hopefully, you know, if there's no long-term injuries coming from the next Super Rugby season. And they're always competitive. They're always competitive. And uh, I think you've got to stick with him because also what better candidate is there that's coming along? Time to speak to top referee Nigel Owens. Hello, Nigel. Good night, Brian. How are you? Okay, Racing 92, Leicester, you did on... uh, Sunday, I, I, I haven't been to uh, the Racing ground yet. I must go, but what does it feel like being in there? Because from the television, it looks like a discotheque. <laughs> it, it is. It's a very. Uh, it was definitely worth going there for sure. Very different, very strange feeling at first because obviously it's totally different to what to what we're used to. Even with the Millennium Stadium or the Principality Stadium now, with with the roof shut and some of the other stadiums like in Dunedin with the roof is, is permanently closed there. But it, it is. It, it, it's a good stadium. And typically, with the weather was like in Paris yesterday. You know, I think everybody watched that game yesterday would agree it was a really enjoyable and a great game of rugby. And there's no doubt what contributed to that. The fact that it was played indoors, in, especially with the weather outside. So uh, it is different to, to, to what we are we're used to as, as, as rugby people. Um, but the surface is, is good to run on, and uh, it's, there's no doubt it contributed yesterday to, to a wonderful game of rugby, really, particularly with the way that the weather was. Uh, a couple of issues I just want to raise with you this week. One is rugby law related, the other 
isn't, but I'm sure you're happy to talk about both. With respect to rugby, can you just clarify the laws relating to scores in goal when you've got the ball in your possession and when you're chasing a ball to, uh, you know, to touch it down? Right. In relation to touching the ball down is if the ball is not in your possession and the ball is on the ground already, then all you need to have is downward pressure on that ball. Now, that downward pressure can be as minimal as, as, as needs be as long as it's downwards pressure. So, But if you think of the ball lying on the ground already and your hand goes out and your hand sort of, your fingertips touch the side of the ball, which means you're pushing it forward literally, that is not deemed to be downward pressure. It needs to be your fingers on the ball going down on it first to give the downward pressure. If that's the ball already on the ground, that would mean enough downward pressure. If you're not in possession of the ball and the ball is bouncing in the air over the dead over the try line, then you need to have possession or in control of the ball. So it means your hand needs to be on that ball and your hand sort of like clawing, if you like, and the action of a clawing when you do your hand around the ball. So you're actually holding the ball. So you're in control of the ball as you bring it down to to put it on, 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 the, on the ground to score the try. If the ball is in the air and your hand is flat open, it means that you're not in control of it. So it means it's a knock on then not to try your touchdown because you're not in possession of the ball. So, Nigel, I mean, and, many, many people would say, and I think this distinction escapes people, so if it's in the air and you put the ball, you have your hand wholly on top of it and you firmly plant it down, you're still not in possession, so that still wouldn't be enough. Yes, you need to be in control of it, basically, Brian. Okay. So what is, what is, what is that? the way we, we would judge that is, imagine if you were sort of grasping the ball, you're clawing your hand around the ball, so you're actually holding the ball with one, with one hand. The second row from racing yesterday does it very, very well. He gets an arm out, he's got one hand around the ball, he's always in control of it when he offloads it. So if you're doing that to put in the ball down, you're in control of the ball. Now imagine your hand is flat, so you're sort of pushing the ball down, but you're not holding it, so you're not in control of it. That ball will either leave your hand before it touches the ground, or if it doesn't leave your hand when it's touching the ground, you're not in control of it. What the law sort of brings into account then, it says, well, if the ground wasn't there, you would have lost that ball forward rather than being in control of it. So you need to be in control of the ball, really, if the ball is in the air before you put it down to score a try. Uh, so, Nigel, sorry, it's Nick Easter here. How Hi, are Nick, you? how's it going? You well? Yeah, good man. But the, So you're basically saying at some stage... When that ball is free, um, in terms of gaining possession, you have to be in control of it. Because the amount of times when people are scoring tries and they seem to have lost the ball because it's still touching a part of their upper torso or their arm and they've, they've executed downward pressure, that is a try. But they've had control previously of the ball because we've seen them given us tries many a time, haven't we? When you, people sort of say, you know, you, you're, you're watching a game and people say, oh, it's not in control, it's not in control. And say, well, it doesn't have to be like that. There has to be downward pressure. But what you're saying is in the ball in the air, the guy was never in possession of it. Yes, yeah, so the ball was already on the ground in that case. So imagine the ball is in the ground, on the ground already, and you come down on your torso on it. You were putting downward pressure on the ball, so you, you were never in control of it, but you haven't lost control of it. Now, imagine if the ball is bouncing in the air, but you sort of fall on the ball in the air, and the ball is on your torso, 
and then you fall down on that, that's not going to be a knock-on because it's not in your hands. So therefore, the try will be given in that instance. Ah, okay. But a similar instance then, your hand is on the ball, but the same principle happens as, as on your torso. That will be deemed to be a knock-on because it's on your hand or your arm and you're not in control of the ball. Gotcha. If you are going over, you're in possession of the ball, you need to have control to ground it. What about the situation where you're carrying it in your arm, you go down, it sort of squirts out of your arm, but it stays within the curtilage of your body, it sort of, you sort of wraps in between your torso and your upper thigh. So you haven't got the control you had in terms of it in your arm, but it is still wholly within sort of the area of your body. Would you deem that to be out of control or not? Well, you'd have to judge it, and it's difficult to give you an answer to that without actually seeing it happen, because what you'd have to do in that instance, you'd have to judge, do I think the player was still in control of the ball when the ball touched the ground? And if you thought, well, he was still in control, even though the ball has now moved to the side of his body, but you still feel his arm was around it, so he was still in control, then you would want to try. If you felt, well, no, he wasn't in control, he'd lost control of the ball, which means the ball has gone out of his possession, and then even though he's touched his torso as it hits the ground, he's lost control first. A bit like, really, if, um, if, you, if you go to kick the ball, some, if a player knocks the ball on, he loses control of the ball, but he kicks it with his feet before it hits the ground, it seemed to be a knock-on. Because you lost control, and you've kicked it before it touched the ground, but you've lost control. So even though you kicked it, it would have hit the ground anyway. Very similar to that. But if you sort of let the ball go from your possession to kick it, then it's deemed not to be a knock-on, it's deemed to be a kick. OK, um, just very finally, I was um, noting your uh, comments on uh, social media to the uh, explanation <laughs> that had to be given about the fairy tale of New York and your uh, the word faggot in there, and you just making a point that uh, this has multiple meanings and that if we go too far in respect of this, then we're going to lose all sense of, of normality. Yeah, and, and that, that was actually my point. I think the first thing to, to realise here is political correctness has its part and is hugely important in today's society, particularly in, in the case of minority and, and like myself. So political correctness has its part to play and it's played a crucial part in moving things all forward and making society accepting and a better place for all. But if you then take that political correctness to the extreme, where you take things out of context or you look for things to offend you, then that undone and do all the good work that political correctness is going on. In my case here is when there's a clear, when, when, when the word faggot means very various things in different contexts, if you take it out of context or you want to be offended by your word, then you can look for something to be offended about. And I just think sometimes people are looking for things to be offended. When somebody tells you, look, this is not what it means. This is what it means in the song. It's written in this context. Then there is your explanation. If you go to try and find, ah, no, I don't believe you, I'm going to look at it in another way, then that's your own fault. You're looking for something to be offended where it's not meant in an offensive way to you. Same as the words, if the words gay and queer can be used in a very nasty way and in a very homophobic way which is not acceptable 
yet they can be used in a very friendly and acceptable way as well. So it's all down into the context things are being used. So I really think sometimes you need to apply a little bit of common sense. Political correctness is an important part of society in making it a better place. But once it goes to the extreme and goes to the to the way of madness that is going sometimes, it will undo all the good work that it's meant to be there to do in the first place. Totally agree with you. Um, thank you very much for speaking to us again. Uh, see you the later. first time we've agreed on something. No, it's not, Nigel. <laughs> don't, don't exaggerate. I'm offended now. <laughs> Take me another concept. <laughs> All the best, Brian. Thank Cheers you. Cheers to you, Nick. Bye-bye. Owens. Well, there were four big wins and one class that went right down to the wire in a telling 11th round of the Terrell's Premier 15s action. Third played second at Surrey Sports Park and a resounding 43 points to seven win for Harlequins ladies saw them leapfrog Loughborough Lightning, although Saracens women still top the pile after putting up 59 points without reply against the Darlington Moden Park Sharks. Elsewhere, the Worcester Valkyries came agonisingly close to the first win of the season before Richmond came back to triumph while the Wasps ladies and Gloucester Hartbury women continued their pushes for fourth spot. To help us with the weekend's action, very pleased to say we can now speak to Giselle Mather, the Wasps ladies coach. Hello Giselle. Hello Brian, how are you doing? Okay, I don't think many people saw a 43-7 win for Quinns given the uh, relative league position, second and third and very close. Does this sort of thing just happen or was it a particularly good uh, performance by Quinns? I, I have to say that I was very surprised by that result as well. Obviously, Quinns were at home down at Surrey Sports Park, and that's a difficult place to go and play. Conditions there, it's very windy and, and can be quite a difficult place. But that said, I would have still expected a much closer game. Loughborough did have out most of their big guns as well so uh, we were quite surprised being that we played Loughborough the week before and they they were very very clinical in the 22 um, but we were we felt that we we had a lot of the game in the middle of the field and weren't clinical in the 22 so maybe that was the difference this week that that uh, they didn't have as many opportunities as as uh, perhaps they would have would have wanted because they didn't create them and they are a very good side at finishing off their opportunities so maybe that's what happened I don't know but superb effort by Quinns and they have been threatening a performance like that so it, it was quite a big surprise Well one of the things that I'm not necessarily au fait with although I'm au fait with the women's game in general and the uh, top players I'm not quite sure what the pecking order is in international places now the England international scrum half Leanne Riley for Quinns how safe is she in her spot? By all accounts, she had an exceptional performance this weekend and she did play very well in the Autumn Internationals. Um, following her this, this time was Claudia McDonald, who's our scrum half um, at, at Wasps. Um, she came off the bench for, for England on all three internationals. But she's very new to the position. Uh, Loughborough have a very young scrum half in Megan and she is England under-20s. So she has competition there. Bianca Blackburn down at, at Gloucester is a very, very snappy player. So there are a lot of scrum halves. Katie Matteson as well from, from Bristol. So there's a lot of scrum halves pushing. But Leanne at the moment has has title to that shirt. OK. Well, you got back to winning ways after being beaten by Loughborough Lightning. It was a nilled performance, including, um, I'm told, a 
drive for Rocky Clark. Now, yeah. hey, she can't go on much longer, can she? <laughs> <laughs> she loves it, to be fair. So, uh, yes, I, I, Rocky has no intention whatsoever of, of hanging up her boots. My God, how many caps could she... Well, I, I don't know if she's going to get Ness and get any more caps, but she's going to... Her records, club and otherwise, are going to stand for a long time, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's she she's really hungry to play at the moment because she did have a, a hamstring injury which has kept her out up until now. But she's come back in, slotted in seamlessly, and she just she just loves the game so much. She's also now on her level four coaching. Um, she coaches down coaches down at Chesham, both the men's and women's. I mean, she's the, the game is so in her blood. So she wants to continue playing until I think until we had to push her out in a wheelchair. She'll <laughs> she'll keep going until she uh, she can no longer do it because she and she just add so much value it's the leadership well, that's the point itself. I was going to, to come on to what does she add apart from the fact that you know she has an exceptional amount of experience yeah she, she just she just leads it's her decision making and her understanding of you know when things should be happening um, and she she brings a real calmness about what she's doing and she demands a lot from those around her so everybody in our pack really steps up when she's she's in it because that's what she demands in a very quiet she, she does rather than speaks and they just everybody just follows and she just understands the game so well well Saracen's out uh, in front again not by a huge margin but they are going to be the team to beat are they not well you know I have seen their game from the weekend because we've got them in a couple of weeks so I've had a, a good look at what they did they're very very powerful their forward base and, and this weekend um, Vicky Fleetwood led the way with Hannah Bottoman really but they didn't have Poppy Cleal or, or Marley even on the bench they were they were rested I assume so you know they are so powerful they score several five meter scrums they're absolutely lethal from um, and if you play DMP played a bit of a of a try and run out of your own 22 game and you just can't do that against them because you make one error and it's you're standing behind your posts before you know it but also the, the speed that they move the ball as well when the opportunity's there and they are now a very very good side um, it'll be interesting to see when they come up against Quinns because Quinns are now hitting their straps. So it, it'll still be inter- interesting to see because, as you say, there's only four points between the two now. So that first place spot is still very much up for grabs. You can't be absolutely certain, but it looks as though yourselves and Gloucester Hartbury might be uh, in contention for the fourth place. What may, Are you confident that you can grab that? That's going to be a very, very interesting battle all the way through. Um, and, you know, depending on, on fixtures and who we're playing, I, I think we might see us yo-yoing backwards and forwards on that one, um, which will put pressure on both of us. It will very much depend on potentially the the, the last two games of the season. We play Gloucester mm. at theirs in the penultimate one, and then we've got Bristol as our final, and they've got Quinns. So from that perspective, I think it's going to be a very, very... Interesting battle, that fourth fifth. It is. As you say, we've got to leave it there, but thanks very much. It's great to speak to you again. I'm glad you will. And you. And have a great Christmas. I will. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Very quickly, we're going back to the reverse of the fixtures that happened this just weekend just gone. Leinster to lose, more or less uh, done there. Mm-hmm. But Exeter can't qualify from that group. They're away to Gloucester. Gloucester can. It's a home game. Can they? Will they? Do it? Yes. I think Gloucester will. Um, I think they've learnt a lot in the last two years, well, one and a half seasons under Ackerman. 
their squad's better this year. They want this, uh, and I think I think they'll have enough there, especially with a Bay in their king zone behind their backs. I, I said, having said, we'll just take one. Let's take another. Newcastle. Do they I, need Do they need an extended run in Europe, or is it better just to get out and their and their limited well, resources to? Well, uh, I, th- I think exactly. I mean, they've got. I think they spend the least in the whole Premiership. We know what uh, Dino's priority, and quite rightly, is. You know, these three games around Christmas, but it's always been his priority because. You know, they found themselves in a position where they had won two from two. But actually, you look at the squads that they played in both those games. You know, they, they seven of the players were replaced for the away trip to Toulon. And they won down there and they continued clearly that feel good and probably won a game they didn't deserve to. But what they're very used to now is eking out 30 or 40 possessions in a, last, in a sort of injury time. I see him doing the same with an eye on these three games, probably putting half his what he's looking to be his starting team in around Christmas. And I think they'll be hungry enough just to nick that game. I know Edinburgh will be in with a sniff. It's effectively down the road. It's the closest game Newcastle have all season. But I think on on their pitch, they're a different beast. I see them nicking that game. Well, that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Thank you very much to my co-host, Nick Easter, to my producer, as always, Abby Patterson. And remember, please uh, leave a review on the website because that will help other people find us. But for now, goodbye. Goodbye.